Good morning. All right. I want to say thanks to Stephen and Katie and Susie. That may have been just a perfect song to end on as we open God's Word. And I remember the first time I heard that song, and the lyric, test our thoughts on our attitudes, just struck me as I heard it. And I'm like, oh, I, do you really want to pray that? Test my thoughts and my attitudes where it gets down to the heart. And you just go, oh, this gets down where it really counts. I was going to say, it's really good to be here in Yakima. As I look around, we have blue skies, maybe a light breeze. For those who only see me, and I wish I could just take the camera and turn it around, and you could see what I see. Maybe we could. The power of suggestion. And if I could say, I might be the first to suggest, maybe once a year we ought to put this on the calendar. We just all bring our lawn chairs we sit outside, we sing songs together, we open God's word together. There's just something really nice about this. In the last few weeks, I've been thinking about the uh, Sermon on the Mount and Jesus up on the hillside speaking out to the audience. And I don't think he had a PA system, but I don't wonder if it's what it might have looked like just, just a little bit. Can anyone say this has been a most unusual year? And it's only June. Could anybody have imagined even a year ago, we would have been here this morning, out in the lawn, all of us masked up in surgical masks, thinking about a disease we had never heard of even a year ago? And as I've kind of like followed the events that have gone on the last six months, a word keeps coming to my mind as I watch news, read posts and responses, and just people's reaction to the world as it's unfolding. And I just think of this word, unrest. Can anybody nod your head? I can see your face, but not your lower face. But indeed, unrest. We live in a time of unrest. And I thought about just all the ways this affects us. I'm glad someone thought to put these clips on the podium here. So many ways we're affected by the unrest that we see around us. Obviously, we're all wearing masks. There's a health concern. We have sanitizer, hand sanitizer, Clorox wipes. When you walk into the building, you have to wipe down the doorknobs. There's a sense of unrest. Will I be healthy if I go out? People are in sincere, and in some cases, rightful concern about health. I think about our finances as businesses are closing. People are concerned about the money they've saved. Will it maintain its value? Do I have a job next week, next year? So we have unrest about our financial situations. And living in a time of just civil unrest, what will my neighbors do if I respond in a certain way? We just feel an unease about the world we're living in. And it's with pleasure and privilege, I say this morning, the answer to this world's unrest we find in Jesus Christ. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, Come unto me, all ye who are, I better look it up, who labor heavy laden, Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read it so I get it right. Because this is one I just don't want to miss. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I love this phrase, You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's where I want to be today, talking about the rest that we find in God. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to pick up right where it left off last week. As I read this, I imagined if we didn't have numbers to mark chapters in our Bibles, chapter 3 and chapter 4, they would just roll one thought right into the next. It begins, therefore, this means you understand this, now get this. And as amazing as I went through Hebrews, I'm going to encourage you guys to take a moment and flip through your Bible. Look at how many chapters in Hebrews begin with, therefore, or for. This is like one connected thought. The writer of the Hebrews was creating an argument. He said to the people who he wrote this letter to, you understand this, you Hebrews. You understand the Old Testament. Now, understand this. Jesus, as we just heard, is better. And he's making this case. So we begin with this. Therefore, it's a conclusion of what we just read. While the promise of entering his rest still stands. And I'm going to pause there. This is something that the original audience would have understood. There's believers who came out of Judaism to follow Jesus. They would have been well acquainted with the story we just went through last week. The children of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt in a most miraculous way, incredible way. They had the Passover yearly to commemorate the coming out of Egypt, walking through the desert on the promise of a land of rest, a place they belonged. And so he says, the promise of entering his rest still stands. You might have thought, oh, that was a thousand years ago at the time this was written. That's not for now. And he says, no, the rest is still available to you. And then he says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So it's possible, even among those who were numbered with the believers, those who had taken steps toward Christ, it was possible that those who had gone that far may not have finished. And I wonder, as I kind of stand here, I see you. You know, you can clearly see me here but we don't know what's going on on the inside. 
it's hard to say those who have entered into God's rest and those who are just sitting right outside kind of looking, looking on, but not quite making that next step. And he says, you heard the warning. He says, but don't, don't fall into that. He says, even fear. And I wrestle this word a little bit. Why fear? Because the consequences are so great. And I tried thinking about the things in our lives as we're sitting out here that we could relate to. Things where we might say, you know, fear, you better watch out. If you don't take that final step, you're not going to make it where you need to go. So maybe something we can relate to being in uh, mid-June and I've seen a whole lot of graduation signs as I drive around town on cars and people's driveways and even though they may not have walked across the stage, I think graduates still feel a sense of accomplishment about having finished something. Can you imagine someone going through school, high school, college, maybe beyond, and being right there at the cusp of finishing and just saying, nah, I don't think I'm going to finish this one out. Or I think about those of us who are uh, maybe midlife, and we're kind of pursuing, we're saving toward an eventual retirement, perhaps. We don't know how these things play out. But can you imagine someone on the cusp of being able to retire and saying, no, I think I'll buy lottery tickets instead. Or maybe I'll go cash this in and go buy a boat. And you just think, what foolishness. Why would you go so far and then stop short. And I expect many of us have different things in our lives who can relate to this. And you just think, to watch somebody else go there, you think, you fool, why go so far and yet stop short? And I think that's what the writer here is saying. Why would you go so far and yet stop short? He says the good news, it came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So the difference, those who enter and experience God's rest is those who believe what God has said and those who don't. The picture is the children of Israel came to the borders of Canaan. Twelve spies were sent in to spy out the land. Ten came back and said, there's giants in this land. They have walled cities, fortified cities. We can't take it. They're too big. Two spies said, if God is for us, and if God is with us, we can take this land. I'm going to turn there. It's uh, Numbers chapter 14. Give me a moment here. So if you'll turn there with me to Numbers 14, there's some really telling things that take place here.
So I'll look in verse 8. Numbers 14, chapter 14, verse 8. Joshua and Caleb, after seeing the land, they said this, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And they say, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. And do not fear the, oh sorry, then the protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But fear overtook the other spies. They saw the giants. They saw the walls. And the conclusion was, these obstacles are greater than our God. So God's response to them, in verse 22, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. I find it interesting. Those who saw the same thing. I think jo Joshua and Caleb, they saw the giants. They saw the cities. But they saw their God who brought them out of Egypt. And they said, he is greater than the obstacle. Faith is what spoke to them. The rest, they saw the giants, they saw the cities, and they said, we can't do it. They said, these giants, these obstacles are greater than our God. And so he says, you, you will not enter this land. I've been thinking a lot about what is exactly this rest. And sometimes when we think about rest, we think about sitting out in our lawn chairs Maybe having something cold to drink, some lemonade, and a sandwich at our side. And we think, this is rest. But I think in light of what we have in this chapter, I'm going to suggest for you guys a definition or description of what God's rest is, what it is he's offering. And in this chapter, he brings out a few things. He brings out creation, especially before the fall. The writer here brings out Canaan in this chapter. He brings out David as the king over Israel. And I just wonder, what is it that's being promised? And it seems, as looking back in Genesis, when Adam was in the garden, he was told before sin, he would be working in the garden. And I kind of scratched my head. Okay, so there, it's not idleness. The rest of God is not necessarily being idle and doing nothing. I think about the people going into Canaan. As they went into the land and possessed houses and fields and farms, I don't think the rest of God is idleness and just doing nothing. I don't think that's what it is. And David, as king over Israel, I don't think he was idle as king. There was things that he was doing, purposeful living. And I think in the future, as we experience heaven, 
I don't think it's going to be idleness. I know I've read through uh, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. I would recommend it. It has some thoughts that kind of dispel some of our preconceived cultural notions of heaven. But he suggests in heaven there will be purposefulness, purposefulness and busyness, but in a meaningful kind of way. So I think what God's rest is, I think living God's rest is having a purposeful, it's a meaningful life, living in God's creation, but in a right relationship with your creator. That, I think, is God's rest. And I'll say it again in case you want to jot that down. Or I'd be open to conversation on this later, too. But I think it's the idea there's a rightness, a purposefulness about our life. It's having a right relationship with your creator and your God. And as we do things, there is rest. There is, I don't want to say ease, but there's an easiness about, about it. Years ago when I first attended chapel here, um, there was a series going on on the idea of spiritual gifts. And I remember Dave uh, St. Lawrence brought this up. He says, when you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, there's not a stress in it. There's not a weariness in it, but it's almost an energy, a supernatural gifted energy in doing God's work. I thought, you know, I think you're right. And sometimes I think when we move forward in the energy of the flesh, it's just draining. And we just say it just in a sense like just sucks the life out of you. But when you're doing what God has called you to do, there's just a rightness about it, and it energizes you. You feel like this is what I've been called to do. And this, I think, is kind of living out in the goodness of God's rest. Now, the trouble is, why don't we just do it? There's a brokenness in us. It's sin. It's the flesh. And we try and force things to happen. We say, I want it. And there's striving and there's just anger and malice. There's anxiety when you're not living in the good of God's rest. There's no peace in what you do. I was talking to Tim about this a little bit, just kind of running through my thoughts. And he described this idea of being in the zone. It's like you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing with the people you're supposed to be doing it with, and God just blesses it when you're in the right place doing the right thing. Now, please don't take me to say that means I don't think you should do anything if you don't feel like you're called there. But as you serve and you just kind of find yourself in a place that you just know God is using you and there's energy in it and there's blessing in it, I think this is God's rest experienced now. And I think there's an element, too, where we enjoy this now and we get a little taste of it now. But down the road, it will be so much richer and freer and, can I say, more blessed, energizing, all those things together as we live this out in the kingdom. So I'm going to move on. So he continues, verse 3. For we who have believed 
we enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do you notice the pronouns here? There's a distinct difference. It says, they heard it. And talks about those who listened. They have faith. He says, they shall not enter my rest. There's a distinction between those who have faith, those who trust God at his word, those who do not. And I found this next phrase, this next verse a little bit tricky. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. There's an element, I think, that God has finished these things. These things are completed in the mind of God. And yet, in this life, they're still being played out. God offers his rest, and yet it's still for us to enter into it. I think a little bit about this idea about God having finished his works in Ephesians, where it talks about those who were chosen from the foundation of the world. She says, before the foundation of the world. So there's an element, I think, where God knows these things are finished, and yet here we are this morning, watching these things play out, living them out. And this morning, as you hear this, if you are hearing this and for the first time it really strikes you that this means me. I've heard this message. As it says in verse 2, I've heard this good news. This good news has come to me. We're going to read, not to harden your heart. In verse 4 he says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Those who don't believe will not enter God's rest. He says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter, enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So there's a day for this. And that day is today. That time is now. If you are hearing this and you think, I think this means me. Today, is your day to come and enter into God's rest. Not by works, not by cleaning yourself up a little bit, making yourself presentable, but by belief. It's by faith. I think back again to the spies who searched out the land. They said, if God is for us, he will lift the protection of the enemy. It's not that they said, if we organize ourselves, if we put together our armies, and I think about the ragtag bunch they were, slaves having crossed the desert, coming into a land prepared for battle, naturally speaking, it's almost nonsense. If we come to God today presenting like who we are and how good we are and how well we clean ourselves up, it's almost nonsense. 
But he says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away. I didn't read this section, but afterward, when this people heard God say, we will not enter this land, it was almost like a child who'd been disciplined by their parents and says, oh, no, no, never mind, never mind, we'll do it. They said, okay, we'll go up, we'll take the land. And God said, no. There comes a time, I believe, when you harden your heart, when you set your heart against the message that you have heard. At some point, your day might pass. For the children of Israel, he said, you will wander the wilderness. He said, pack your things, turn around. I hope today for anyone here who hears my voice, who has the word of God open in front of them, I hope you don't think, maybe later. Maybe I'll come back to this. Maybe I have some things that I want to get done first. Then I'll come back. The invitation here is today. The invitation is now. If you want to enter into God's rest, if you want peace with God, now is your time to do it. Don't put it off. Don't think later. There's always another reason not to. This uh, passage was taken from Psalm 95. I would almost encourage you, if you have a bookmark or a slip of paper, find Psalm 95. Stick your bookmark in there. Come back to it. I almost challenge you to uh, read it without singing, especially if you are of a certain generation. (laughs) Some uh, verses have songs and the tune just comes back to you. You can't help yourself. But in the beginning, it's a song of creation. But then David says, For 40 years I loathed that generation, God speaking, and said they are people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So don't miss. Don't miss the call. And to further make the point here, the writer looks at Joshua in verse 8. He says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So Joshua brought the people into the land, but yet later on, hundreds of years later, David writes this today. He says, the day is today, but the people under Joshua had already entered into that promised land. And I find this interesting, especially in the context of the book of Hebrews. Joshua did not give the people rest. They entered the land under Joshua's leadership, and yet they still needed to enter God's rest there. David says, today. Not before, We're already, we've already arrived. He says now. And this is just a great tidbit here. Joshua and Jesus in Hebrew would be the same name. So if we look in Hebrews here, Joshua or Jesus is the greater Joshua. Joshua brought them into a physical land, yet they didn't find rest. Jesus 
brings us into a relationship with ourself and a right relationship with our God through his work at Calvary. And Jesus brings us real rest. He is the greater Joshua. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. An interesting thought here. To enter the rest, you have to stop working for it. And I listened to a message from a Tim Keller, who I really enjoy. And he has a nice way of bringing out opposite sides of the same issue to see things in a new way. And he talked about this ceasing from your labors to enter your rest. He's talking about how some people, when they hear about God's rest, and he just says, come. Some see it and they say no. And they run as far away from God as they can. They see God's standard, his holiness. They've heard his voice. And like the spies who thought, we just can't take this land, they say, I just can't measure up. And so people turn toward a course of rebellion, leaving God and just say, I just can't. So I'm going to, in a sense, find my own rest, my own satisfaction, my own way by pursuing everything that I want that gratifies my own flesh. So we seek after pleasure in any number of ways. I'm sure you can think to yourself and have witnessed and experienced how we seek for pleasure outside of God. But then also, some people go the opposite direction and say, well, if seeking to gratify myself doesn't bring me to God— and it doesn't take long to see the course of that. And we see in the prodigal son, one who went afar off to g- live out his flesh. But you realize pretty soon, this comes up short. This is no good. So some turn to religion. Like, okay, so God, if you are holy, I'm just going to dig myself in. I'm going to do everything religious that I can do to pick myself up. I'm going to make myself good then you will accept me. But as they say here, the ground is not to work to gratify yourself. The answer is not to work to satisfy God with my goodness. But the answer is to cease from my works and to know Jesus. Like he said in Matthew, to take his yoke to learn of him. Then you find rest for your soul. Not in your labor, but in the person. In the person of Jesus, you find rest for your soul. And then I really kind of came to this next verse and thought, wait a minute, how does this work? So then he says, let us therefore strive. So wait, I have to stop working? And then I have to strive? How does this work? Does anybody else scratching your head at this moment? How do I work harder not to work? He says that no one may fall 
by the same sort of disobedience. And as I thought about this, why do we have to work not to work? Why is it so hard to let go of my own efforts to trust in God? And I think there's kind of two things that um, really pull us away. I think one is just fear. If I let go of my life, if I give God control of my life and let go of my plans, what's going to happen? I think there's some authentic fear in that. That's a difficult thing. If I do things to where my peers say, are you crazy? Do you know if this does not work out? Do you know what's going to happen? And I say, I don't know. But I trust God. And he's going to take care of me. I think it takes some effort to let go of our own fears, our own controls, and just to trust God. That takes some effort. I have to consciously say, I'm worried. I have anxiety. This is difficult. And I think we do that. Part of the pursuit of that is right here. As we saturate ourselves, as we learn what God has to say to us in this book. But I'll tell you what, it's not easy. There's some brothers here and some sisters, and I look out at your faces, and I admire and I respect the time and the years and the faithfulness that you put into following this book. But it takes effort. It's not easy. I think the other thing that keeps us from following and pursuing God and pursuing his rest, striving after it, is just our own pleasure. How much easier is it to just follow my own flesh than to feed my spirit? If I can ask you, would you rather watch YouTube videos for hours on end than get into this book? And I gotta say, at times, guilty. I have wasted, almost ashamed to say, I have wasted hours and days of my life with nonsense as opposed to pursuing the things that really matter. And I imagine if I were in your minds right now, you're probably all nodding in your mind, just don't want to do it out loud, but say, yeah, I've wasted my time because what? It takes effort. So I speak to myself and I challenge you at the same time. Let's strive to enter into this rest. There's an element of futureness about it. I know in my heart, yes, I trust the Lord Jesus Christ for my future, for my soul, for the salvation. But at the same time, we've got to fight the fight in this life. We've got to strive to enter that and to enjoy that now. There's a sense of now and still yet in the future. And now I think comes the crux of the whole thing. This is the verse that if I ask the kids if they've memorized this, in fact, I will. How many of you children have memorized chapter 4, verse 12? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, 
of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Kids, how many of you have memorized this? I see some hands. I thought I might see some more. Maybe you are just sleeping. Okay, there's some hands. Good. Maybe if I stare at you, those of you who I know have done this, because you've been to Sunday school, you've been to action, you've gone to day camp and Bible camp. Yeah, we know this verse. And sometimes as we read this, we think about, oh, yes, the sword, the weapon we take out to go and clobber our unbelieving neighbors. But I like, as this verse begins, it says, for. It means it's connected to the thought before this. Talking about striving to enter. I don't think this is for me to take to you and say, look, you got to work harder at this. I think this is for me to take this and realize God is going to use this and he's going to turn it toward me. This book speaks to my heart. This book speaks to my thoughts, my attitudes, my motives. It's not for me to turn to you. I think God is perfectly adequate. The Spirit of God can use the Word of God to speak to our heart. I like that he talks about being a two-edged sword. Somebody pointed out the two-edged sword doesn't have any dull points. And I want to say the Word of God does not have any dull edges. And sometimes we read through things and we say, oh, so long. Can we just skip this? But as you dig in, you apply some of that effort, that striving, the word of God is not dull. It speaks to you. It speaks to me. It gets in between the edges of who we are. It talks about us being active, being living. I find it amazing that people have said, and I'm not alone in this, how did you know what I was going through? You said this, and it spoke to me? I'm like, I don't know. It's God's word, and yet it moves on the heart level. It gets underneath the surfaces that we put up, the fronts that we show, and it gets in. And people have said this, that the word of God It finds a way to speak to you where you are. It meets your needs in a way that nothing else and nobody else can. It talks here about the division of soul and spirit. Sometimes much gets made about these two things. Does a person have a soul and a spirit and a body? And I'm not sure that's the push of what's here, but it seems there is a difference. The soul, the pneuma in Greek, seems to speak about the, um, just who you are in your being, your self-awareness. God speaks to you just through your own self-awareness and reflection and realizing in my natural state, the shortness that I don't measure up. The psyche, the spirit, is more of a relational thing as I have a relationship or have a broken relationship with God, 
the word of God reveals these things. I know that inwardly I'm broken. I know that outwardly I'm broken and in need of God in my life. And the word of God gets down to that level and it speaks to those things. Don't neglect. It says it down to the uh, joints, the marrow. Perhaps it's a physical nature of who we are. The word of God speaks to it. We are spiritual beings. We are also physical beings. I believe the Christian worldview recognizes both those things. The body is not evil. God made it. The word of God speaks to that. One day we will have a resurrected physical body in the presence of Jesus in his physical resurrection body. So that's just a part of who we are. And then we end today on this. A solemn note and yet at the same time if our relationship toward his God is right if we have entered into his rest a place of rest. In verse 13, he says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As we've had this book open this morning, to the degree that you have understood what I have said over the years, to the degree that it has soaked into what you know of God and yourself, you are accountable for what God has spoken. And as they say, if you get pulled over and you say, I didn't know, ignorance is not an excuse. And as we're here this morning, you've heard it. And I'll just say it plainly. God desires a relationship with you. That relationship is broken because we are broken, because we're sinners by nature, sinners by action. But today, hear me clearly on this, Jesus, because he died on the cross for your sins, he offers us to come to him, to be forgiven, to be welcomed, to be brought back to God, and if you hear this today, don't think later. Don't harden your heart and say, that's not really for me. And the thought of giving an account when this whole thing is said and done, there will be an accounting. You will have to explain the life you've lived, the deeds you've done. In Revelation here, at the end, John writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what's the answer? The answer? Come to Jesus. Have your name written in the book of life. So I'm going to end today on the same place I began. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. So, Father, I just want to thank you from our hearts just to be out here this morning, to have your word open in a public way, sing songs of your grace, of your rest, your love toward us. Just want to pray just for the, uh, the faith to see your rest, to enter into it, to come to Jesus. We're just thankful that in a wor- world that is so characterized by unrest, you offer us rest for our soul. So we thank you for this. We praise you for your work of redemption, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your holy name. Amen.